You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Oh, it is good to be back in the chair and talking with everyone. Uh, How you doing? How you doing, Rachel? I'm getting over the last bit of a cold, but otherwise I'm doing pretty great. You know, it's been raining and it's just, you know, for cozy. It's sweater weather. Yeah. Oh, it was raining this week. And the, the, the coziness of the rain was something I, I absolutely adored and have missed since we haven't really seen rain in a long, long time. <laughs> a long time. Um, yeah. So, oh boy. Well, you know, thinking about rain and making things grow, that's a little bit where I'm going uh, this week. Uh, living in Minnesota. I know a bit about grass and we have uh, hundreds of acres of prairie where I work Mm -hmm. and there are many species of grass growing there. The most iconic is big blue stem. Oh yeah. And it grows an impressive eight feet tall. So I am no stranger to big grass. Okay. Two and a half. However, no, even big. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two and a half. Rachel's you say what? You're not that's very that wrong. No, it's like it was one and a half. Some bad math. <laughs> okay, that's better. However, uh, even big blue stem pales in comparison to the largest grasses in the world. I'm talking about the bamboos. Oh. We haven't talked about this on the show, Rachel. How have we not talked about bamboo? I have it like right in front of me right now. Oh, awesome. The largest of these is Dendrocalamus sinicus. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's, that's pretty close to how it's pronounced. It reaches, get this, Sounds right 46 me. meters. That's 151 feet into the air. <laughs> that's What? <laughs> yeah. That is bigger than the one you have growing in your living 46 room. 46 meters? Yeah, 46 meters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's 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 a tree, Kirk. Well, that's the thing. You know, they do like they do often have a role that is um, similar to trees. It re- It is shocking how large they can get for those of us who live in places where bamboo doesn't grow and we don't see it in the wild. I think that, you know, living mm-hmm. in part of the world where bamboo is not ubiquitous also means that I probably don't have a really great understanding of how important bamboo is to the lives, uh, livelihoods and economies in parts of the world where it is common. And you mentioned trees, Rachel. I think in a lot of mm-hmm. parts of the world, bamboo actually plays a similar role that trees do uh, in places that have a lot of trees. Hmm. Not that places that have bamboo don't have trees, but I mean, it, it's a another natural resource that can also be used in, in ways trees are. Now, here's a really quick and not right. nearly comprehensive list of things that bamboo can be used for. More like categories than actual things, because... Again, you could do a bamboo podcast and never, you know, run out of talking about the stuff that's made out of it. We got all different kinds of food. Um, Absolutely. Wine, mm-hmm. firewood, art, 
um, building construction, like li- literally like walls really? and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. There's like it's it can be carved and, and detailed and whatnot. Um, it's used to make paper. Oh, used to make clothes, uh, which is not like hanging the bamboo off mm-hmm. you. The, the fibers <laughs> are turned into textiles. Uh, the fibers, yeah. Yeah, scaffolding. It's been used as scaffoldings. Uh, much like we use metal ones around here. You have right. uh, fencing. Uh, it's Some of the papers made out of it has been used in the desalinization of seawater, which is amazing. Musical instruments, weapons, cool. kitchen utensils, flooring, crafting materials. This just goes on and on and on. Humans have figured out amazing ways to use this plant. By one estimate I was able to find, wow, bamboo accounts for over... $100 million worth of global trade every year. And that doesn't even take into the eco- in, in, into account Whoa. the ecological services that it provides. So this is, this is pretty impressive for what's essentially a big That's insane. Grass, right? A grass. Now, a recent study That's about bamboo. Nuts. Yeah, it's really nuts. Uh, a recent study about bamboo <laughs> caught my eye. And it kind of blew my mind because it deals with a strange aspect of bamboo that was totally unfamiliar to me and I hadn't really thought about. Bamboo is an evergreen flowering plant. So this places them into a weird state uh, when compared to trees. In general, we have like deciduous flowering trees and then we have the non-flowering evergreen conifers, like you think of like a Christmas tree type tree. And bamboo is an evergreen right. plant that produces flowers. Now, if you're familiar with bamboo, you may be thinking to yourself, huh, you know, I've never actually seen bamboo flower. Have you ever seen bamboo flowers? The bamboo you have in your living room ever flowered, I, Rachel? Uh, no. Right, so... <laughs> no, it is very tiny. <laughs> no. Right, well... I didn't know it could flower. Exactly. There's, there's a reason why you've probably never seen it. Bamboo takes... A long time to flower. Some species only okay. flower once every 120 years. <laughs> yeah. So okay. you'd be forgiven for not I'm probably having not ever see seen that. it happen, right? So here's the really weird mm-hmm. part. You say you you you'll probably never see it. It it kind of depends. Like here's the weird. Uh, part though and it's interesting you said about not ever seeing it uh flower because you're probably thinking if you had that species in your living room uh you've only had it for let's say five years we got to wait 115 years to see it bloom right but that's not how it Mm -hmm. works they seem to have some sort of strange internal clock if you take a cutting from a plant and start a new uh colony from it the clock does not reset Mm -hmm. It just keeps on going, and both the cutting and the original plant will still flower at the same time, and this is true even if it's, like, transported around the world. What? Right? So, like... What? Yes. Because <laughs> essentially, crazy. Mo- most bamboo you've ever seen was grown, um, it was propagated through cuttings. And so you just cut a piece off, stick it in right. dirt, it starts to grow, and that is a clone of the original. And it still has that same genetic mm-hmm. internal clock ticking, and it knows how old the you know um, the colony is that it came from, and it will flower at the same time as all the other cuttings that came from that same original plant. Huh. Now, 
That's wild. <laughs> That's pretty awesome and amazing. But it poses a, also a pretty major problem. One of the most important species of bamboo grown today is called Phyllostachys nigra. Uh, it's also known as black bamboo. It it's one of the ones that flowers once every 120 years. Okay. And researchers think we're about to see another flowering mm -hmm. event. Wow, awesome, you think. We get to witness an event not seen Yay! in nature in our lifetimes. Unless they're all clones. Well, literally all the black, boon, uh, black bamboo in Japan, as well as some other parts of the world, are clones of each other. Mm -hmm. So they're all going to bloom all at once. Oh, no. Well, that sounds pretty awesome, right? Like just oh, no. all these plants blooming. Right. Do you know what the problem is with that, Rachel? But... Uh-huh. There's like no genetic diversity, first of all, but also... Yeah. The pollen is going to be so bad. Well, you are you are correct. They they are wind pollinated, uh, and they are going to release a ton of pollen. Uh, but that's you know a, a short you know lived thing. It's not probably the biggest issue. The bigger issue is that once bamboo blooms, it dies. Oh no! Yeah. Oh, and no. no one really researched or wrote down what happened 120 years ago when it last bloomed. So scientists are scrambling to figure out what's going to happen this time. Now, not every plant is an exact clone of every other. There's been a few clumps that have started to bloom over the past few years. So biologists have been able mm -hmm. to study them to sort of get an idea of what might happen. And in one study right. site, nearly 80% of the bamboo in the study plot bloomed and then died once it bloomed over that approximately Whoa. year period or so when the blooming took place. But weirdly, the plants that didn't bloom also died. Like <gasps> the whole colony just died off. And oh, no. even more interestingly and worryingly, um, the plants that bloomed did not produce any seeds, which if you're familiar what? with how this works, is usually the point of blooming, right? Right. Um, so that's, there's something that's the whole why you have a flower in the first place is to get pollinated. So you produce the seed and then you produce the seed and the seed goes poof and then you can die. You don't produce the flower and yeah. then die. It, what? <laughs> right. It, it, it seems that at this point, black bamboo may be unable to reproduce by seed. So I think we've uh, we've spotted the problem here, right? And you may be thinking, I, I okay, say so. well, maybe it just continues on asexually and starts a cycle over. Because that obviously, like, essentially propagating through rhizomes underground and new shoots come up. Like, that's, that's primarily how this plant spreads, especially if it's only, uh, you know, flowering once a hundred, every 120 years. Right. Unless the rhizomes die when the whole thing flowers. Well, it turns out it seems like they do. Now, these plants did send up some new shoots. Uh, oh. They actually call them corms. They're not shoots, but we're going to call them shoots. Not be confusing. Um, they send up these shoots um, mm -hmm. after the main ones die. But it seems like most of those died within one year. And all new growth was dead mm. within three years in the study plot. There was nothing growing. And similar things have been reported in oh, other wow. studies. Um, and was also noted uh, back during the last mass blooming uh, back in the early 1900s. So, uh, or I guess it would have been, it was 120, so it was late 1800s, not early 1900s. So this could be a disastrous situation in Japan as the bamboo has cultural, economic, and oh, no. ecological roles, all of which are important. 
and the rapid disappearance of bamboo is going to have to be mitigated somehow. Uh, the researchers in the paper I was reading think mm -hmm. that the issue is that this species of bamboo may be unable to self-pollinate. And they all flower at once to release a massive amount of pollen, sort of like uh, oak trees have like a mast season where they all drop tons of acorns. So they, they kind of save up and then all you know, release right. pollen at once to increase the uh, chance of the pollination working. But it's not working because it could be that it needs to cross-pollinate with like another variety or something to be successful. That's the thing. Researchers really mm. aren't sure. Maybe. Why does this whole flowering thing not work? We don't know. And they don't produce any seeds. It's really, uh, they just don't know. And that's super frustrating. Now, right. there is some good news. We don't even know what bamboo seeds look like. Well, it's not that they don't have the seeds Do look we know? like. We just, I mean, there's other species that seed, certainly. Um, but like right. they, I think what I read was they put like um, traps, like cone traps and stuff on the ground or sheets to like catch the seeds once they fall and no seeds like ever came out. They right. don't think that seeds were actually produced, uh, which is wild. Huh. So it could be that this, this species wild. just can't, can't reproduce that way anymore. It lost that ability at some point. I did say there was some good news. Hmm. Um, presumably this happened yeah. 120 years ago as well. Right. And we have plenty of black bamboo today. So somehow it does seem to survive. And indeed, there are reports of this species growing in Japan for over 1,000 years. So unless something changed really recently to make it not be able to reproduce, like it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's been through this before. There's going to be an interruption to society and the environment, but um, hopefully it will continue on. The researchers suggest that non-blooming stands uh, that don't bloom at this the same time as these ones should be identified and used for propagation. My only concern with that is what if there are mm -hmm. ones that bloom like 10 years later, right? And you like regrow everything and then 10 mm -hmm. years later it all dies again. Like that would be really bad. Because like, remember, propagate, if you just cut yeah. it and move it someplace else, that timer does not restart, right? So. Which is also <sighs> wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, now, Dang. luckily, bamboo grows quickly uh, and important stands could be reestablished, hopefully quickly. Um, they also point out that there could be an upside. And if you're going to try to find an upside to this, because of how bamboo spreads and how densely it grows, it's extremely difficult to remove from places where you don't want it to grow. It can be, it becomes very invasive and very, you know, difficult, expensive and labor intensive to remove. A massive die off could mm -hmm. actually be an opportunity to manage bamboo in areas where people don't want it growing. Uh, so it's usually so expensive and right. difficult and intensive and almost impossible because you leave a little bit behind and whoop, new stuff starts to grow. If it all dies off, you could come in and maybe till that all up and put something else in and, uh, you know, change habitat. Uh, if you're doing so like a habitat restoration project or something like that, there could be reasons why you might want to do that. So, you know, I mean, that's not the mm -hmm. greatest thing, but it's, it's something. It's some silver lining. It's not awesome, but it's not awful yeah so when is this when is this going to happen you're probably wondering we don't know it's not an exact science um but we what we do know because we know approximately when it happened last time it's going to be some time they believe mm -hmm. in the 2020s so it's 2023 we've only All got right. seven, seven years left so some sometime in the next seven years this is going to happen it could happen next year we just don't know exactly no matter what happens uh, we do know that okay. it is going to be an incredible learning process 
Uh, and hopefully we can let people 120 years from now know what they are in for <laughs> in the future. So my, uh, yeah. my sources this week for this story Write it down. was uh, this study, which is called Does Monocarpic... Oh, I got to read this whole thing. Does monocarpic Phyllostachys Niagara var Hanois, Hanois regenerate after flowering in Japan? Question mark. Insights from a three years of observation after flowering. That was in PLOS One earlier this year. And then also uh, there was a, some information I got from the Economic, Social, and Environmental Assessment of Bamboo for Infrastructure Development, uh, which is part of the uh, came from the Department of Mechanical Engineering Science at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa, and also some general information from Wikipedia. So that's what I've got this week. Hmm. Cool. Thanks, Kirk. You're welcome. I thought that was just such a cool, interesting thing to share. And we'll probably get to do an update uh, if we keep on doing this podcast for at least the next seven years. We'll let you know when the bamboo all starts dying. God, that's depressing. Um, You know, hopefully we will have more information to share. Let's go to a break. That'd be great. Welcome back, everyone. So this week's topic it has been on my list for a while, kind of. It's been in the back of my brain, but I haven't had it written down. And I got to thinking this past weekend about how, I don't know if this happens to you, Kirk, but I was thinking about how I don't think things are strange when they are strange anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no we've talked about this on the show before Rachel. Right. like the the stuff that we as professional naturalists run into and we go well that's just that's normal a, that's, that's strange. Just how it is you mentioned something to somebody a party mm-hmm. or something who is not a naturalist and they're like what like that's bizarre and you're like oh is oh, it huh. huh all right cool exactly <laughs> that's just what i talk exactly. about all the time it feels like i've almost become a little more jaded yeah. because i think of things like Oh, I guess that's kind of weird, but it's not weird enough when I think about topics for our show, especially because <laughs> I'll look right. at something and be like, I right. guess that's weird, but it's not weird. So I decided to take a step back and really think about what the word strange means and go for my childhood favorite animal and go to basics. This week, we're talking about cheetahs, Kirk. Oh, sweet. All right. Yeah, cheetahs, I mean, I think are an animal a lot of people are familiar with. So that's probably, I, I, I feel where you're like, well, is that exactly. weird? People have heard of a cheetah, but there's some weird stuff about cheetahs. People know about cheetahs. Oh, Rachel, tell me. Absolutely. Tell me all the weirdness. Let's do oh. it. Oh, good. So we all kind of know where I'm going with this. A cheetah is a big cat. True. Sort of. That, there's debate okay, about it. They're big compared to a house cat, but are they members of the big cats? Exactly. You mean like lions and tigers and... No. So that's the debate, right? Because we all call them big cats, and there's debate between scientists on whether or not they're big cats. Okay. But generally speaking, the category of big cat is defined by two things, that they're part of a bigger family of panthera or yeah, whatever okay. makes sense and that they can roar so is this like lions Cheetahs lions tigers and mountain lions roar. slash panthers slash 
Cougars. So it's it's actually lions, tigers, leopards, and jaguars okay. are able to. Because technically, mountain lions and panthers, I, I have to do more research into this, but I'm going to say it. I'm pretty sure they're very closely related to jaguars. Okay. But I could be wrong and be mixing so that up. So they're in the jaguar group, perhaps? Yeah, I believe so. But I could be... If someone knows Just otherwise, write in. Accusation out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can write in and let me know. You can tell me how wrong I am. Tell Rachel she's wrong. <laughs> that would be totally fine. Contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. <laughs> or comment right there in the Podbean app. So, yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, cheetahs aren't able to roar. Right. So, they have more in common with your common house cat. They can purr, they can chirp, they can growl and things like that. Um, I actually was, reason why I was thinking about cheetahs more recently is because I was, I got onto a video somewhere and there was a cheetah and it was just purring and I was like, oh, my cat does that. Huh, that's kind of strange, I guess. And then I thought about it more and I'm like, okay. It's actually, when you take, take that step back you're talking about, it's actually stranger that you have a cat who lives in your house than it is that mm-hmm. cheetahs purr. Purr? The fact that you have a miniature, like, you know, this, this, this... He does want to be outside all the time. Yeah, it's pretty wild. He looks a lot like a lynx, to be fair. So there, that that is very fair. But that's... We're digressing. Yeah. So cheetahs... Uh, just to give a brief description, because I'm pretty sure we all know, but just in case, uh, it is a large cat with tan fur all over, with black spots all over, um, and then striping around their tails like little rings, like black striping around their tails, mm-hmm. and then streaks down their face that look yeah. that would follow where tear marks would go. Very cool. There's actually a really interesting legend. Um, there's actually a really interesting legend when it comes to why cheetahs have tear marks and everything, but I'm not going to share it because I'm not part of that culture. Anyway, so they are anywhere from a 5.7 to 7.1 feet long, which includes their tail. So they are longer than I am tall. They are more than one, Rachel. Perfect. Their tail is actually a majority, of, like a pretty big chunk of their length. Uh, it it varies anywhere between two to two point seven feet long. Yeah, it's it's impressive, which is wild to me. Um, but their tail is really important, right? Very One thing so. that I think we're all waiting on me to talk about is their speed. So cheetahs are the fastest land animal. Because they are the fastest land animal, yeah. uh, they use their tail kind of like a rudder to be able to get <laughs> them and be able to make very sharp turns. Okay. Yeah, there's there's without their tail and you can see online too where a cheetah is like making a hard turn to the right and their tail is like kicked out to the left for balance. Exactly. And it's not only kicked out to the left, but oftentimes it's rotating here and there and it's helping the cheetah keep balance 
because yeah, they're yeah. really long leg bodies. They are sprinters. It is wild. Um, they can go in three seconds. They can go from zero to 60 miles an hour in three seconds. Amazing. Super amazing. Which is so fast. Um, their top speed, they've been able to clock cheetahs up to, I think the fastest they found was like 80, but generally yeah, speaking, that's, they that's go. That's the number I had in my head is 80 miles an hour. Woo. Yeah. It's like, that's like the top, top, top speed that they can get to. And they can't do it for very long, right? Yeah. I was hoping Only you were going to mention maintained that. maintained for burst. about 300 yards. They're a sprinter. They are not a long distance runner. Kind of like me when I actually ran. <laughs> you were a long distance anyway. runner? <laughs> no, I was a short distance runner. Wait, you were a short Distance runner or a short distance runner? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Which is really cool, right? The fact that they can go from zero to 60 in three seconds, that's faster than most cars are able to go. Uh, like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. accelerate. There, I saw um, a piece of information while I was doing research. I think it was there 27 times faster than the human um to give you all context for why this is amazing Oof. like we all we all know that it's amazing the fact that they can go from zero to 60 but the fastest man alive usain bolt his fastest sprint yeah is 27 miles an hour and a cheetah can go <laughs> <laughs> almost Ooh, his maybe, three maybe times as as that in the same more, yeah. distance, yeah. which is <laughs> golly gee, sure, that's incredible. And literally, no <laughs> other land animal is able to do this. Uh, and part <clears throat> of it is because of that inner relationship between cheetahs and antelopes, right? Yeah, so they are able to run and chase their prey in order to get them. It, because the prey it's like this interlocking relationship the prey keeps going faster and faster and faster so in order to be able to catch them the cheetahs the ones who survive are the ones who are able to catch the prey yep, yep. and that that speed gets passed on and it just creates faster and faster animals which is crazy right. evolution at its finest Kind of makes you want a time machine then to see like if we were to go in the future, mm -hmm. could we see cheetahs going even faster as antelope and springbok and impala and gazelles and whatnot all get faster as well. Exactly. Uh, I imagine at some point you run into some sort of physiological barrier where you just can't make a land animal go any faster. I think cheetahs are starting to get physiology. there. Yeah. So they're actually the so. only surviving species of their genus. So there could have been other animals that were just as fast, which is wild. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, they've, yeah, absolutely wild. And they are paying that price for that speed. Uh, like you were mentioning, a lot of land animals don't get up to those speeds, right? And they can't because right. it's, hard on the body to go that fast 
They have, oh, yeah. in order to be able to go that fast, they have to be able to breathe very, very quickly. They have to have really, really big lungs. They can't have really big teeth because their nasal passages have to be so large, their teeth don't have enough space for roots to have really oh, big wow. teeth. Oh, I wouldn't that would I would never even have thought of that. So that's, they, that's fascinating. Right? So they can't like fight things like lions because they live in similar habitats. Because so if a lion decides, yeah, yeah. oh, I'm gonna eat this gazelle that this that cheetah came over, the cheetah has or like took down, the cheetah has to leave because the lion will take him down. Because they're not going to be able to go. The cheetah will just leave. Now is this why don't cheetahs don't cheetahs sometimes pull their prey up into a tree to eat it? That is, those are leopards and jaguars who do that. Okay. They actually Which often is another, get you know, a way mistaken. to get it away from the larger big cat. But yeah, cheetahs, mm-hmm. I thought yeah, they did that too. Yeah, cheetahs can't All climb. Right. I got it So backwards. they're confused with leopards. Yeah. Uh, very commonly, actually. Not living in a place that has either. I tend to get the two mixed up sometimes. That's fair. But because they also have those short teeth, the cheetahs can't like chomp into the throat of their prey and like cut oh. the like cut the um the artery and there. everything. Or they can't cut the jugular. Yeah. So oftentimes they're actually suffocating their prey, which is harder to do, but also Wow, really? Rough. Yeah. Holy cow. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Oh. Yeah. I I did not know that either. So a couple of last things about cheetahs in the first place. So a couple of things that are really unique. Females are the ones that are solitary. Usually with it, when it comes to big cats, females are the ones that tend to group up together, right? Or even in animals in general, the females are the ones that tend to stick together and take care of cubs or the The babies and the males are the loners. It's the opposite in cheetahs. Males are the ones that hang out together and are social and the females are the ones that are solitary. And they only stay like together long enough to breed and then the females will raise the cubs on their own. Um, and the males will stay together in a group like with all of their other siblings until pretty much for the rest of their life, more or less. Um, but they don't go far away, more or less. Yeah. Um, until they get to be the point where they're sexually mature at like two. So they'll go anywhere. Mm -hmm. They can go as far as 300 miles away from where their mom is which is wild. Oh, wow. And then just stay together. That's good for spreading your genes around, yeah. Yeah, which is really important because cheetahs do not have um, a lot of genetic diversity. They experienced some sort of bottleneck um, Mm -hmm. a number of years ago, about 10,000 years ago. So there's not a lot of genetic diversity, which is wild. Blink of an eye. Because there's five different species of cheetah in the world. There's different... subspecies of cheetah and they go anywhere from i always picture them as just being in like africa they've been found everywhere from Mm -hmm. like iran all the way they've been reintroduced into india actually as well 
So they've been occur all the way in through there, which is wild. Side note, looking at DNA, uh, researchers believe that humans also had a bottleneck at some point Ooh. where our population was almost wiped out and then rebounded back. Crazy. Very cool. That is wild. Long, long ago. <laughs> yeah, long time ago. I don't think we're experiencing that problem currently. No, we kind of have the opposite problem right now, but that's, uh, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention about cheetahs is that they are pretty common in a zoo uh, space, in zoos in general. They tend to be... Sure, sure. But the thing about cheetahs is apparently the ones that are in captivity and are in the breeding programs, apparently they experience a lot of anxiety. So a lot of cheetahs get paired... Oh, you don't say. They do. So they get paired with dogs and they become friends. And they just really, yeah, they will pair a cheetah with a dog, and the, they become like an emotional support that the cheetah gets an emotional support dog to help deal with wow. their anxiety. It's a really common <laughs> thing so that happens like they in multiple cheetah because they live by themselves, yeah. But if you had a dog there, that's like they're fine a with different it. species, it's cool, we can hang out and. It's pretty common, actually, uh, in a lot of captive that, programs. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that wild? That is really cool. Yeah. Very cool. And it, it's a great way for them to be able to get them comfortable enough to be able to breed as well as to be able to... Um, as well as to just improve their overall happiness in captivity and things like that, too. Sure. Which is going to help your health overall and everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk about cheetahs because I, I think about cheetahs. I used to think about them a lot more when I was a child because they were my favorite animal. But I really... I thought of them more when I was a child. That's because there was a, pl- a pizza place near us called Cheetah Pizza. But aside oh, from that, yeah. Wild. I haven't thought of cheetahs in a while. That's... You know what? That's fair. Oh, one last Thank you for bringing Cheetos back into my life. Anytime. One last little tidbit. So a lot of people like say, well, yeah, Cheetos are the fastest land animal, but they're not the fastest animal. They are the fastest land animal, but there's right. only like 10 other things that are faster than Cheetos, and they're all things that fly. So there is that. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that someday too. That, some of those are kind of a cheat, I believe. I, they're sort of like... Powered flight is different than diving. I agree. In my book. Oh, we were thinking about peregrine falcons, anyway. aren't we? Anyway. Uh, we are. Yeah. <laughs> I think the peregrine falcon number is kind of BS. Let's talk about it for a second. The record for fastest animal. People say, oh, it's a peregrine falcon. Kids tell me this mm-hmm. all the time. It's like 242 the way they miles got that per record hour. Yeah. Was the guy who tested this out was a falconer mm. who had a pet, like essentially a pet falcon. Right. And the guy was also a skydiver. So he jumped out of an airplane with his falcon and then th- and threw a lure to the falcon and the falcon and there was like a okay. altimeter yeah. uh, that could track how fast it was falling in the in the lure mm-hmm. and the falcon flew down and hit the lure and then how fast the lure was going. So I know this, the falcon was going faster than that because it flew down and sped up to, you know, to get to it. And you go, okay, but peregrine falcons don't jump out of airplanes. No, they do not. 
famously not a thing they do yeah, in the wild. And they don't generally uh, get that and it's high like, either. Right. And if you throw a human, like that skydiver jumped out of an airplane, do we take his speed that he was falling? Mm-hmm. I presume 9.8 meters per second squared or whatever it is. Um, and you take that, that speed. Is that the world record for how fast a human can fly hmm. or move? Like that doesn't... It's not Falling out of an airplane is not flying. Powered level flight, like chasing prey through a forest or an urban area or whatever. Um, peregrine falcons are very fast. Uh, I want to say the number in my head is like 40 miles an hour. I'd, I'd have to look it up, but like mm-hmm. maybe 50. Like they're, they can fly fast. Yeah. They but can it fly is not fast. like the number they can get diving. And now if you were to say, well, yeah, but they fly up and then they dive down, you know, toward pigeons and pick them out of the sky, which they do. Mm-hmm. If they're doing an ambush like that. Would I count the natural speed that they go in that dive as mm-hmm. a record? Yeah, maybe. But I'm, I think it's a fun number. I'm not really inclined to believe that the value they got by jumping out of an airplane with a trained yeah. falcon is exactly representative of what they're doing in the wild. So if you have a radar gun, get out there. Track down some peregrine falcons. Tell us how fast they're flying and diving. You can email that to contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com or reach us on the Podbean app yeah. uh, and just comment under the show. I mean, I... How's that? We'll put that put that in there. Get you all to write in. Time. I'd love to hear yeah. about all the people with spare radar guns and spare time. I, there's got to be someone out there. I mean, if anything, y'all could come Give visit me because <laughs> I know... I, I mean, I know who... I know people who ban peregrines. I'm up right in their territory. So Yeah, you're right. You're right in the neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that in the show sometime, we too. We should. Anyway, uh, my sources this week are the World Wildlife Fund, the Smithsonian uh, National Zoo and Conservation uh, Biology Institute, and Wikipedia all gave me some really great information. So, Yeah, it's 56 miles an hour, by the way. I looked it up. Oh, wow. Dang. That's not very fast. <laughs> But that's the end of the show this week, everyone. So thank you all for listening and joining us this week. Kirk, it's been great. See you all next week. Yeah. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.